Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you tell us that your word is alive and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that your word penetrates, it divides us, soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Thank you that you tell us that your word judges our thoughts. It judges the attitudes of our hearts. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that that would happen in us, that we ask for that work to happen in us so that we would be changed, so that we would be transformed, so that we would be a people ready for your return. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Ian said, we're a few weeks now into, um, into a sermon series on Luke's gospel in just a particular part of it, on Luke's chapter, on, on chapters 12 and 13. And, uh, you know, we've called it Jesus Live, Jesus speaking to us live. Um, and we, if you picked up one of the reading plans on there, you would have seen there's a microphone. We've got the microphone here. Uh, it's kind of spray-painted pink. I think in reality for today's talk, it probably ought to have been spray you know, kind of painted red, red, you know, you know, kind of red hot. Jesus' words to us, they burn, they sting, no, you know, actually not simply sting, they burn, they get deep into us. There is a challenge in these words about how we think of Jesus, how we think of Jesus' message for us. Now, this this is one of those passages in the Bible where Jesus is speaking um, not just about other things, about the state of the world or, or whatever, but this is where Jesus is talking about himself. You know, he's talking um, not just about his ministry and its consequences, but he's talking about what this means to him. We feel something of Jesus' passion, of his emotion about what he's come to do. And there are three words which stand out in this short reading. Just as Jesus talks about who he is, what he's come to do. Three words that stand out. Fire, baptism, division. Fire, baptism, division. Have a look at verse 49. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Some people see the word fire and elsewhere um, fire is referred to as the Holy Spirit. So is Jesus saying, I've come to bring the Holy Spirit to the earth? Well, we know he, that you know, there is a passion there for it, but that doesn't really fit with, with the context of these verses. You know, Jesus' words beforehand, his words after, there, there, is a, there, is a, there is a sharp edge to it. There's a particular tone here. Now, when we think of Jesus' mission and when we think of the different things that Jesus has come to do, I'm not, I don't think many of us would have used this kind of language. What did Jesus come to do? He came to teach, came to heal, came to preach a, a, a good news. I don't think many of us would have said, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to bring fire. But that's what he's saying. And I'm convinced then that this is about 
judgment, Jesus' judgment of the earth, Jesus' judgment of his people. And this is continuing in part what we heard from Chris last week. And there, there was that, that kind of theme of watchfulness. And, the, uh, and I guess the, the, the focus in, in the passage last week, the passage just immediately before this, was about Jesus' return and how Jesus' return would be unexpected. We don't know when it's going to happen and what's Jesus going to find us doing when he returns. But here, this is about the reason why Jesus is coming back and what he's coming back to do. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning to judge. But it's that language, fire. I mean, literally, it's incendiary language, isn't it? For us, we hear the word fire, and I don't know whether we're thinking fire is something uncontrollable, fire is something destructive. The thought of somebody deliberately starting a fire is not usually a positive one. Yes, there are exceptions, but we think of someone who's coming to start a fire. It's not a positive image. But for Jesus' audience, for the, for the disciples, for the crowds, it's not unusual language. The prophets of the Bible, the, the, the prophets of the Old Testament, they described God's anger that burns. The prophet Jeremiah in particular, he, he says this, he, he writes, he says, God says, for my anger will kindle a fire that will burn against you. And was Jeremiah writing? It's one occasion, but it's there throughout. And here, it's, and, and it's quite clear then that judgment, that this idea of God's judgment is not simply being directed to the outsiders, those who are outside of, of God's family, but he... But Jeremiah was talking about God's own people, this message of kind of put your own house in order. And the thing is, though, although we might squirm at the idea of fire, even though we might squirm at the idea of God's judgment, deep down, we want justice. We do want justice in the world See, the more injustice that we have seen in the world around us, the more we realize, the more injustice we have seen, the more we realize that we need justice, that we crave it. We want things to be put right. Part, that's, some of the, that's what we're praying for. If we don't believe that Jesus will judge the world, and everyone who's lived in it, if we don't believe that that's going to happen, if we don't believe that Jesus would, you know, get involved at that kind of thing, well, what does that mean about our impression of Jesus? Isn't that saying that if Jesus isn't going to judge the world, does that not say that we think Jesus doesn't care about justice? If Jesus isn't going to come to judge the world, does that mean Jesus is just going to turn the blind eye to all the wrong of history? Jesus will judge because he is good. Jesus will judge because he is just. Now, deep down, deep down, I don't believe that we think that judgment is the problem. The problem isn't judgment, but we're thinking the problem is who's going to be judged? Who's going to judge and on what basis, on what, on what standard? That's what makes us feel uncomfortable. 
Not that Jesus, we don't feel uncomfortable about the idea of Jesus coming to cast fire on the dictators and the warlords, but we feel uncomfortable at the idea that Jesus may come to judge me and my actions. And the thing is, if we want Jesus to be a true judge, then we've got to accept the possibility that Jesus' standards for judging will be different from ours. See, if we've got a Jesus whose words never challenge us, if we've got a Jesus whose words never unsettle us, if we've got a Jesus whose values are just so simply, perfectly in line with ours, then isn't it possible that we've created a judge in our own image? A judge who just happens to fit perfectly what we believe? That we've made a Jesus that somehow sounds a lot like a 21st century resident of Muswell Hill? Jesus says, I have come to cast fire. And how I wish it were already kindled. It's fire. What about baptism? That's the second key word. Look with me at verse 50. Jesus continues, but... I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. What baptism is this? What baptism is this? Well, there's general agreement here that Jesus is talking about his death. In fact, Jesus is saying that the fire, his judgment, can't come until he has died, until this baptism is completed. But why not simply, what is it? Jesus simply said, I've got to die first before judgment. Why does he put it in terms of baptism? What's he getting at? Now, when we think about baptism, we tend to associate baptism with life, with new life. You think of a, a, a child being baptized, an infant being baptized. Well, that's, that's new life there. Or with an adult Going under the waters of baptism, we think of um, th that's something that's happened with a new Christian. But the imagery of baptism is actually, it's deep, it's powerful. What you have with, you see it particularly with an adult baptism, is a, a body being plunged, submerged, completely, entirely underwater. It's a burial. It's got to be death first. And with Jesus, with Jesus talking about his own death, this is not simply he's talking about a dying from old age. Jesus isn't talking about letting nature take his course on him. No, Jesus is talking about the fact that he is going to be killed. Something is going to happen to him. He is going to be killed. That's his baptism. Baptism isn't something that you do to yourself. You don't baptize yourself. It's something that happens to you. And Jesus is saying he knows that his life was going to be taken from him. In one sense, he is giving it up. He is yielding his life. But he's yielding it to people who want to take it from him, who want to kill him. There's no surprise here. As I said a few weeks ago, this, this passage of teaching, this passage comes from a block um, when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows that when, what awaits him in Jerusalem is pain and suffering and death. One preacher, an old preacher, said this, Jesus is on his way to a baptism of suffering, 
of wounds, of agony, of blood, and of death. That's what Jesus is on his way to. That's his baptism. And Jesus is saying that until this happens, until this is done, until this is all complete, Jesus feels constrained. Another translation says that he feels under distress. There is like a pressure on him. Recently finished um, a book. Just grab it here because I forgot it. Recently finished this book. Um, seven Reasons to Reconsider Christianity. The author, Ben Shaw, actually spoke at the church here um, a few years ago. He preached at the GC3 event. Now, Ben has actually, um, he passed away um, last year with cancer. But one of the reasons he gives, the re- one of the reasons he gives to reconsider Christianity is by saying that the good news of Jesus, he says, reconsider Christianity because the death of Jesus is surprisingly very good news for you. The death of Jesus is good news for you. If you're considering Christianity or maybe you're coming back to thinking about it, Jesus' death, which is something we talk a lot about here, is good news. You might be thinking, and maybe you have been coming to St. James and you think, they do talk a lot about Jesus' death about the cross. We sing of it. We've been singing about it. We teach the kids about it. We're talking about Jesus as Redeemer, his death for us. When we take communion, we're remembering it. Actually, more than that, we're celebrating Jesus' death. And we do that because we believe that Jesus' death was good news, very good news. But now, take a step back for a second. See, Jesus' death is the solution to a problem. And we need to be clear about the problem. The problem, the bad news, is that all of us have lived in rebellion against God. We've lived in rebellion against God's word, against his good ways, against his law. And there's a word for that, sin. And that's why Jesus says, that's what Jesus wants to deal with. That's why there's a judgment. That's why he wants to cast fire on the earth, because he's just, he's got to deal with sin. So Jesus is just, but just, but he is as loving as he is just. Please don't try and make a trade-off between Jesus' justice And Jesus' love, no, he is as loving as he is just. He is just in his love. In his love, he is just. His heart is to show mercy, and that is why he dies. That is why he has to die. There is a swap. There is a substitution. He takes our sin on the cross so that we might take his life, his perfect life, his card, which is never rejected, Jesus dies. He is plunged into suffering and death for our sin so that we might rise to new life with him. Think about that next time you see a baptism. Jesus died. He is plunged into suffering and death so that we can rise to new life in him. And that's incredible. That's that's amazing. That's astounding. And I hope that when you hear us talk about Jesus' death, I hope that that's coming through. But what we have here, which is maybe in addition to everything else, is that Jesus talking about his heart of this, why this matters. We see Jesus' passion. 
his desire. We see Jesus' grit. There is a determined inner resolve to demonstrate justice and show mercy. That is why Jesus can say, I have come to bring fire on the earth and I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint, what distress I am under until it is completed. I've, you know, I've come to cast fire, message of judgment, but I have a baptism to undergo, his death on the cross for us. Sometimes you watch an action hero, and um, an action film rather, and there's a, there's a hero, and they're a reluctant hero. I think of Bruce Willis in Die Hard, or maybe um, Nicolas Cage in, in Con Air. And you get these heroes, and they're just a bit reluctant. They, get, you know, they, they give the impression that they don't want to be here. They don't want to be doing this. But somehow, you know, they've got to do it. That's what they just feel like they've got to do. And in part, that's the attraction of the character. That's part of the attraction for them. But that's a movie. That's fiction. That kind of reluctant hero that we all think is just a little bit charming. In real life, do you want a reluctant surgeon who's about to operate on you? No. 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 There, or, or there's a fire. There's a burning building. Do you want a reluctant firefighter looking, thinking, oh, I'm clocking off soon? No, you, you don't want that. You don't want someone who's reluctant. No. Here's a word from J.C. Ryle. He was a, a British bishop in the 19th century. I love this. He says this. There is in him, there is in Jesus, an infinite willingness to receive, pardon, justify, and deliver the souls of men from hell. Let us strive and repose on it without fear. Let the zeal of the Lord be an example to us. Let the recollection of his burning readiness to die for us be like a glowing coal in our memories. Listen, if you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you know Jesus as your only hope in life and death, if that's you, then there's going to be days when you, you think, I've messed up. I've, I've messed up. I can't believe I've messed up again. I can't believe, and let's, let's be blunt about it. I can't believe I've sinned in that way again. And you think to yourself, if you're like me, you think to yourself, does God really love me? Does he just love me reluctantly? Is Jesus like the bus driver who just sees us running and then thinks, oh, okay, I'll stop and open the door to let you on. I don't really want to do it because you're slowing me down. Is that Jesus' attitude towards us? Is his love for us reluctant? Does Jesus just tolerate me? If that's you, you need to remember Jesus' distress for you. His constraint at being ready to be baptized and suffer for you. What J.C. Ryle called his burning readiness to die for you, not reluctantly, 
but with his whole heart, with his passion. We need to remember Jesus' single-mindedness to die for his people. And we need to remember that single-mindedness that Jesus had because the consequences can bring division. Verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three, and so on it goes on. Look, I know this is hard. I know this is hard. I know this is really hard. And for some of you, it's, it feels impossibly hard because you know in your family... There is a kind of division. Maybe you wouldn't use that word division, but there is a tension there. The call of Jesus on our lives, it's not superficial. We know if it's taken seriously, it runs down deep to our hearts. It runs down deep to our deepest loyalties. And, and the family unit is meant to be the closest, the, the, the smallest, the most intimate. And we are called to live out our faith in that And where the good news of Jesus is loved and embraced by everyone in the family, there is peace, there should be peace. If you're in a family then where everyone does love Jesus, make the most of those opportunities. Pray together, talk together, you know, encourage one another, share God's truth from God's word together. Make the most of those opportunities. Because for some people, they don't have that. Because if you're in a household and your wife or your husband doesn't love Jesus, if you've got kids who live with you and they're, you know, they're pushing away from that or they have pushed away from that, that's hard. Yes, they may say they believe something, but if they've not recognized their sin, if they haven't recognized their need of a savior, then there is a different outlook. There is a tension. And that tension can bring pain. It can bring heartache. Two things I want to say on that quite briefly. Firstly, um, if you're a Christian, you know, you're, you're loving the Lord Jesus, and you're considering getting into a relationship with someone who isn't a believer, who doesn't share that same passion for Jesus, who doesn't share the same desire to know forgiveness of sins, then tread carefully. You know, there is, there's no promise in the Bible that someone will follow your lead and be saved. I think there's clear teaching in the Bible that says that Christians ought to be married. When they're making that decision, they should choose to be married to other Christians. That's not a popular thing to say. That's not a popular thing to say. Come and have a word with me if you want to talk that through further. I say that knowing that there's going to be tension here. Now, for some of you, you've found yourself in this situation. You've found yourself in that situation for a whole host of reasons I don't need to get into. To you, I want to say something slightly different which is all is not lost. All is not lost. It's the same for you who are, um, you're sharing a house maybe with grown-up children or teenage children who are not walking with the Lord. 
all is not lost. You can encourage them, but we know that evangelism is different in that setting. The rules of the game are different. The stakes seem higher. But you can pray. Say, you can pray. It's the most important thing we can do. Pray, pray for yourself that the Lord keeps you faithful under pressure, under difficulty, when things are tough. Pray that God helps you to keep your cool, maybe when things are difficult. Pray for God to give you peace in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of heartache. Then pray that the Lord will keep your heart soft and sensitive as you keep praying for the Lord to soften someone else's heart. Remember the mercy that the Lord showed upon you, that none of us are worthy, none of us have done anything to deserve this gift given to us, to deserve that Jesus be baptized into such suffering and death on our behalf. That is not something we earn or deserve We're simply asking that the same gift that we received might be given to someone else. But this is hard. Fire, baptism, division. Just going to leave a moment now for us to think maybe there is something there that we need to bring before God and then I will lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, your words are powerful. They cut to us. They sting. They burn. And we can't understand it all. We can't understand, but we, we do cry out for justice. We do cry out for a judgment of the wrongdoing that has happened but help us to recognize the sin in ourselves and to be bringing that to you continually. Thank you that you were baptized into suffering, into death, into agony, and that you did that out of love for us. Thank you that at the cross we see both your justice as you paid the price for our sin and we see your mercy and your love for us. Thank you that you were baptized and buried into death so that we might rise with you. And we feel the consequences of that. We feel the consequences of that in some of our deepest relationships. And Father, we pray for those whom we know, those we are closest to, whether they're members of our family, whether some of those are our closest friends, the people that we work with, that they may know that, that they may know of your baptism to death for sin so that they may not fear your fire and your judgment. Help us to keep rejoicing. Help us to know peace in the midst of that toil and that pain. We ask in Jesus' name.